Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast, and this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Kremacore West, and I'm delighted to be here with you today as your host. So, today I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Jean-René Renville. Jean-René, please say hi to our listeners. Hello, everyone. Thank, thank you again for having me. Absolutely. And where are you joining us from today? Well, actually, from the beautiful Tampa, Florida. Excellent, excellent. We're so delighted to have you. So everyone, today I'm particularly excited about this episode because as you all know, I'm Haitian American and I do love all things Haiti, particularly when it comes to the diversity, equity, and inclusion sphere. So Jean-Lene has created this amazing film that I had the pleasure of seeing and thank you for sharing that with me. It was just, I have to say before I even tell our listeners about you, kudos on that film. It was not only just a phenomenal work of art, but it was also gut-wrenching and eye-opening and a very necessary conversation for us to have about mental health, particularly as it relates to Haitian people. And so I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about you, and then we're going to dive on into the film. All right. Everyone, Jean-René is a native from Fauché, Haiti, and grew up in Miami, Florida, He's an award-winning video producer, director, and editor who received his bachelor's degree in mass communication from the University of South Florida and his master's degree in television, film, and social media from the Art Institute of Chicago. For over 18 years, he's developed several forms of media for broadcasting industries, nonprofit organizations, online venues, universities, and healthcare organizations. Throughout the span of his professional life, he has accumulated a number of accolades for his work. The accolades include a review of his well-juried culture clash in the Video Librarian magazine during April 2018. This same film, Culture Clash, was among films at the 2018 American Psychology Association Convention. He received the Best Documentary at the Haiti Movie Award in 2014, the Greater Washington Immigration Film Festival in 2015, the Spirit Award from the Real Sisters of the Diaspora Film Festival in 2018, and the Best Documentary from the Urban Media Makers Film Festival in 2006. So his commitment to creating films that interest a worldwide audience is evident in Poub Mantal, Healing a Nation, the film we'll be discussing today. He's received Best Documentary Feature at the Cuidad de Mexico International Film Festival 2020. He also received Best Documentary from the Bergen County Film Festival in 2020 as well. 
He recently co-produced several video interventions for for Quick Cuck Mental Health for Pregnant Haitian Teens, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We're going to have to have you back for that one because that (laughs) sounds fantastic as well. So once again, Joanie, welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. Well, thank you, Bertine. It is such a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm honored to have you. I'm honored to have you. So I'm going to tell you, when I watched this film, I, um, I have a few of my, my friends, a few close friends, and we have a chat group. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching it, I, I texted them and I said, ladies, I am watching this amazing film. And it has just, as I said to you, gut-wrenching, you know, heartbreaking, poignant, beautiful, necessary, right? Mm-hmm. And informative, you know? And, and I said to, and of course, the first thing they said was, what's the name of it? Where can we find it? Because uh, they happen to be Haitian and Haitian American like me, right? And so I was like, I have to ask the director if I can let you see it. <laughs> so I promised them. So now if they're listening, they're going to know I asked. <laughs> but, you know, the, the interest of this part, the, the film is called Trouve Mental, Healing a Nation. And this, to me, I have never seen something like it even though we know that mental health is a topic that, that exists, but it's usually swept under the table. And I've seen this happen here in the United States. And so with the, with the prevalence of the mental health discussions happening here in the U.S., right, particularly in light of the pandemic, yes. um, I found it so wonderful and refreshing that you brought mental health to the table, but you did what I love to see people do um, because I'm a, we were talking offline in the green room about other things that we do that are in line with our work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm an adjunct political science professor and, and I strongly believe that in order for us to discuss current issues, we need to have a historical perspective as well. Yes. Yeah, I love that you did that. And can you tell me a bit more about why you did that? Well, I think, I think again, for me, I'm, I'm a very, uh, I love history. Mm-hmm. So understanding history also will guide us for the future. So a lot of my work, I have to tap into the historical aspect in order to align the current subject that I'm working on. Because if I put 40, and as, as since you watched the movie, you know, as you can see, there is the part where I talked about slavery when it comes to also the the trauma of slavery mm-hmm. and how it relates to everything. I would say, I mean, people of color in general, black people in general. So trauma from slavery, people always say, well, it's been this long, can you get over it? And you and I, as parents, you already understand whatever we do, whatever happens to us, our children will be impacted. Then okay. their children will be impacted. So it's not just one Thing or another, so 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 I think this is why I you know wanted to to really put uh, the historical aspect in that film. I love that you did that. I really do. I think it it added such a, another beautiful layer and gave people a contextual and historical perspective by which to view the film, which I think yes. is really important in understanding why and where Haiti is today with regard to mental health. And I'm so excited about the film. I jumped ahead. I'm going to give our listeners um, a bit of the synopsis about the film. So yeah. again, everyone, Twelve Months Out, Healing a Nation. Um, it's there. I'll give you a bit of the synopsis now. So there's a critical dearth of safe, culturally relevant, and competent mental health services in Haiti due to a lack of social service and mental health infrastructure. 
lack of affordable resources, shortage of trained clinicians, and shortage of funding for potentially useful psychotropic medications. So the story behind Healing a Nation is that of a social worker, Richard Santau, from Cité Soleil region of Port-au-Prince in Haiti, and he suffered what appeared to be a traumatic psychotic break. Richard's preventable death while in residential care at the psychiatric hospital in Haiti was an outrage, which underscores how many disadvantaged individuals with mental disorders who reach out to Haitian mental health systems that fail to receive the help and in fact may face neglect, poor care, and eventually life-threatening conditions. And I'd also like to point out, while I was watching the film, um, the narrator, um, Dr. Gitil Rayhill, uh, she's an associate professor of social work at CBCS USF, and she's a member of the executive faculty committee of the USF Institute for the Study of Latin American and the Caribbean. And while watching the film, another added layer that I thought brought beauty and heartache to the film was through her narration, um, was through the words that she used to express what she was seeing, what she was feeling in real time. And also what resonated with me was her displacement, you know, at, at during the, the earthquake and what happened. Because although I live here in the States, um, a lot of my family members still live in Haiti. And during the, the um, earthquake that happened in Haiti, I remember I had to go to work as an interpreter at that time. And yet I didn't know if my family members were still alive. I didn't know if my father or my brother or my uncles or my cousins were still alive. And so you're trying to serve your Haitian community here, but at the same time, your heart and your mind is with them over there, right? So it's a cognitive dissonance that I, I had to really try and reconcile with even, not even day by day, because we didn't hear from them for a few days, but minute by minute, you know, because you're at work, you're trying to function here where everything is fine. And then you're dealing with, you know, in, in the back of your head, you're like, I hope my father's alive, you know, which is insane. And so the sheer emotion that she brought from that, uh, just sharing her perspective, being so transparent, being so candid, uh, I really appreciated what that added to the film. So I, I want to ask you, what, propelled you to first create this film? Where did that spark come from? Well, it, actually, it was, again, from uh, Dr. Rahil. Because <laughs> um, we had worked on a previous uh, project, Culture Flash. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, she, uh, I had interviewed her for Culture Flash and then really became very good friends. And I think one time, I think we are meeting, and then so that's when she started to tell me about really Richard's uh, story. She's like, hey, this is what happened. She went to Haiti a few times. And then, you know, so this colleague, he was in the hospital, you know, he, he, was, he was in the hospital. And then, few, you know, probably a few months later, he was killed. And so, so, so after she told me the story, so, so that's when I was like, you know what? I think we should go ahead and, you know, work on, a, you know, on that project. But of course, anything where you're coming from here, going to Haiti, First, it was just like, how am I going to do this project? How are you going to navigate that, right? How do you navigate that? And, and John, West, John Wesley Placid, who was also uh, very instrumental in the project, so he was the one who worked, he was working with Oizo at the time, very good friend with Richard. So I, you know, so, I, so Dr. Hill put us in touch, got in touch with him, 
And he was like, even he, after he would go to the hospital, no one would give him any information to really what happened to Richard. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so part of this, as, as I started to plan it out, like, so it occurred to me, it is going to have to be an investigation to what happened to Richard. So we ended up even having hidden camera, you know, for him to even have a chance to enter the hospital to really see what was the condition, and you know, and inside that facility. So that was dark when I saw that. I already in my mind expected it to be bad, right? Because we know that in Haitian culture, mental health, um, and I'll get into that a little later, bit, but mental health is seen as a taboo subject. So hopefully now, I I hope that your film um, will bring about a discussion about this amongst Haitian people, but also people who are allies of Haitian people, right? And and supporters of Haitian people. Mm -hmm. Um, I I didn't expect it as bad as I thought it might be. I was shocked at what I saw. Yeah. I mean, and and I'm not going to give away too much of the film because I do want people to see it, right? And, And digest it for themselves. But I couldn't have imagined it to be what I saw, right? And so if you're going in with a bar already set very low and to see it worse than you could have imagined, it, it's jarring, right? And so this film, to me, um, it, it seems like an investigative documentary. Exactly. And, and, and that, that was my initial thought process to really focus on it as an investigation, so to what happened to Richard? How did how did that this come about? And this is and we're talking about a person who was such a brilliant man. I mean, someone who, you know, he you know worked on the cruise line, who spoke seven languages. He was an interpreter, you know, to Dr. Ray Hill. So a lot of times, so when she would travel to Haiti, so he would be the one, especially when she comes with uh other faculty members, you know, uh from the school. And so this is someone who was such an intelligent man. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that, that you're bringing that up because that he was an interpreter alone rec- resonated with me um, because I was an interpreter for, uh, for many years. And interpreters always have a special place in my heart because once you're an interpreter, even if you're retired, even if you stop doing it, you're always an interpreter because there's, there's an opportunity. If there's an opportunity for you to help people communicate Mm-hmm. We don't hesitate. And I like to think of interpreters, quite honestly, as linguistic first responders, uh, because they will jump in and they will make it happen where two people can have a conversation. And, and, and as to, to this point, to this point, there's a part in the film how Dr. Ray Hill spoke when she got there. She was so tired and Richard jumped up and said, hey, well, I can go ahead and, and, and do that for you. Absolutely. And this is a trait that you will see with interpreters, regardless of language, worldwide. I love that about interpreters. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that we talk about Richard Stenthal because he was a brilliant person. He was a polyglot. I mean, seven languages is no small feat. He traveled to, I believe, over 25 countries. Yes. You know, as you said, working for the cruise line, he had a family. He had a wife and a son. He lived in the Dominican Republic, was successful there and decided to return home to Haiti. Mm -hmm. There were so many beautiful, complex layers about this man and mental health was one added layer of complexity. And it just, and I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, there's a stereotype about what a person with mental health issues looks like. 
Yes. And, and really, it could look like anyone. Well, well, I mean, in, in particular, when we talk about Sephite within the Haitian context, so so a lot of stuff, people always assume if you have mental health issues, all months are full. So yeah. this person is crazy. So so they look at mental uh, health as those this person is crazy. And that, and for you to be crazy, you must be on the street, not a functioning human being. So this is this is the context also in terms of the Haitian lens as we look at mental health. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're functioning, you go out about you know your daily work, people don't assume that oh, you could have any type of mental uh issue. Mm-hmm. And to that point, there's a degree of goodness and badness associated with those those two states of being, right? Because you can be functional and dealing with mental health issues, as Richard was for a long time. And he was seen for everything else because he got up and he, he struggled with those issues and persevered through that struggle. He's seen as good. But then someone else that's featured in the film you know, who is trying to medicate himself with alcohol because he has no access to medication or treatment or yes. therapy. Yes. He's seen as someone who's a degenerate. And mm-hmm. I just think to myself, these are two people who are capable and deserving of love and respect. And they're both being perceived in very different ways, simply because they're they're coping and dealing with their mental health issues in the only ways that they know how. So yeah. Richard was to, I loved when you mentioned that he would um, walk through the street. I think it was his niece who mentioned yes. that he would walk through the street every time he started to feel the onset of another mental health crisis coming on. And, and to me, what I heard in that was that he's connecting with community, with friends as his anchor, right? Yeah. But what if you have no anchor like the other young man? Mm-hmm. Then alcohol becomes your anchor. Um, yeah, becomes your anchor. But... Also in the film, what to me, even while I was filming, and uh, the surprise in terms of the support from the mothers, because there was another gentleman, his mom was, you know, would like, hey, I would try to take him, to, you know, uh, to the mental center, but then sometimes he would, he refused to go. But the support, I think, I think that's the hope for me. I think really seeing that slowly people in Haiti started to understand what it means in terms of mental health and the support that the moms and the family started really bringing. I think for me, that's very uh, helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I love too was the, just the different, I, I love the individual stories. And again, I'm not giving away yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be very careful not to do that, even though I want to tell everybody, you need to see this tonight, right? But I wanted to to also uh, point out how you highlighted the different stories that led to people's different mental health issues, right? And I mean, the stories were from young people to older generations and seeing that diaspora, if you will, and, and that that tapestry of diversity with regard to mental health and who it affects and how it affects them. You know, I thought that was very poignant as well because it goes back to what you were saying about generational, you yeah. know, trauma. Yeah. And 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 then it also speaks uh, in terms of the layer dose if you have. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, I mean, and hate itself, uh, as I as I mentioned in the project, how there's only two psychiatrists in the country. Wow. <laughs> and so 
this is a place which the current, it was roughly 11 to 12 million uh, citizens. Right. And two mental hospitals. There's not enough work hours in multiple lifetimes to cover cover all the people that would need services. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I thought when you mentioned that number, I thought to myself, two, not in a town, yeah. not in a city, not in a state even, which would be outlandish because that happens here in the United States. There are certain states where you have very few, but in an entire country, there's only two. Two. Yeah. Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. And I think this is where, in terms of the partner and in terms of with the international community, and, you know, so when people sort of think of Haiti in terms of, okay, well, there is always this political uh, aspect that's going on, but now for the human condition. So for me, I think, I think, I think the eventually this, those are the kind of work that I really want to, you know, uh, see moving forward in terms of partnering with organizations like Horizon, you know, uh, in Haiti, different organizations to really see how can we bring some resources to this community. Absolutely, absolutely. And and the film focused just on one community, right? Yeah. As opposed to, because, and by one community, I mean one specific area, although many different people. But if we even just, you know, and I would consider that the epicenter because we're mm-hmm. with regard to the film, right? But if we went outside of that epicenter, you know, how many more people, how many more towns, you know, like countless. And yeah. so again, this is why I think that was so poignant. And so I'm going to jump back to um, historical context because I, I, you did show a clip of a particular American pastor that yeah. that is such a trigger for me. And I will tell you why, because yeah. when I saw that clip, I was like, there that thing is again, you know, because um, during the Haitian earthquake, I remember he was featured on television and, and my huge problem with the coverage of the Haitian earthquake was that the first thing that people said was, um, or, or news stations, both liberal and conservative, both said, um, that Haiti is the poorest, uh, nation in the Western hemisphere. And as somebody who was raised to know Haitian history as it actually is, and the role that it played in the United States, making the United States the size that it is and, and just how Haitians have been fighting for the United States since before the United States was the size that it is. Exactly. You know, um, I said to myself, you know, this is the problem with, with a lack of education and a lack of information. 
Haiti is in its current condition. And this is still a, a discussion I have with colleagues in the professional sphere who are, you know, interested in learning about Haiti, you know, or they have fears of traveling to Haiti. And I say to them, I've traveled to Haiti many times. Here is what you should know about Haiti, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Haiti is experiencing the poverty that it is because it was it's still being made to pay for its freedom, right? And we were the first free black republic in the in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. And so that is a title that everybody should really be aware of because we are the only country that's ever had to pay for our freedom as well as fight for our freedom. Yes. Right. And so because of that, that payment, if you will, which um, in modern day terms, I believe is billions of dollars now due to the Haitian people from the French government. But don't get me started on that because that'll probably be another episode. (laughs) But because of that, when you were going back to the historical context, you know, the kidnapping of, of, people um, prior to us being called Haitian, right, from, from Africa, um, the, the enslavement of people, um, the, the effects of colonization, because in my mind, I'm a visual learner, so I, I see it, you know, one dot connecting to the other dots, you know, colonization brought about so many things that caused a, a divisiveness in Haitian culture, you know, and then that created a sort of alienation, and, and it should be noted, as you mentioned in your film, too, that um, Saint-Domingue, which was modern-day Hispaniola, which is now Haiti and the Dominican Republic, um, Saint-Domingue was the most brutal slave state. And the atrocities that were committed there, that got passed down. And so when Haiti did achieve its freedom, next thing you know, 1914, um, you know, our gold reserves were, were taken and seized. And Woodrow Wilson then occupied, and this is something my mom used to talk to me about, um, which were Wilson occupying Haiti, you know, when before she was born, but when my uncles were born, yes. right? And so this is fresh in the minds of the generation right before us, right? This is a trauma. Again, this is this is this is why I always say history matters because mm-hmm. a lot of time you only have to look at just two generations mm-hmm. to understand that impact and how easily it can. Uh, you know, uh, trace down. Right, because we, because, and and I feel like it's a double-edged sword because we have to remind, because we have to remember it so it's not repeated again, mm-hmm. we have to talk about it. And because we talk about it, we're reliving it. But because we have to, you know, defend our Haitian history to people who are non-Haitian, right? Again, we're reliving it and this means we have to consistently pass it down. Yeah. Yeah, so the knowledge is empowering, but it also has a price. Oh, uh, no, no, it, it, it has a price. I, I, I think, I think, I think, even when it comes to kids, and this is where, in terms of what, when would be a good time to sort of, like, in terms of talking to your children regarding that part of the history, as as you uh, clearly point, you know, point out. So it's one thing to sort of, like, understand history, to know it, but then to not be impacted with that type of drama. Right, right. It's a bag that we have to pass on. And I always say this with regard to diversity work. I look forward to when it will no longer be necessary, but I know that won't be for a very long time. Yeah. Right. So it's it's that 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 we have to carry with us. And then fast forward to the 2010 um, earthquake in Haiti. And again, that trend generational trauma continues to be a part of our narrative because we're still on television 
Now, because I remember um, when there was the tsunami in Thailand, yeah. there was no mention, you know, which was a devastating event. There was no mention of per capita income, literacy level, any of those things. Um, during the 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 um, war in Croatia, there was no mention of per capita income, literacy level, none of that. And I, I always find that no matter what I read um, in Haitian, well, in the New York Times or the Washington Post or what have you, Newsweek, The Economist, this is always mentioned. This is always mentioned. And and clearly, even for, like for me, that was part, and I, I clearly remember seventh grade in Miami, watching Channel 7 or some of the other news media, there was always the biggest thing in terms of, oh, this is the poise, the poise, the poise. And as a kid, that was part of the reason why I wanted to survive, become a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do I take our story and change that narrative? Mm-hmm. How do we make people see something totally different than every instant, every kid? And, and, and of course, as when I came to the state in terms of kids picking on you, guess what? Because this is what they see on, you know, on the news. Every movie that you watch, there's always, oh, yeah, there's poor Haitian uh, kids. And so, so, so for me, as a filmmaker, it's necessary in terms of for us to really survive, bring our own image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell our own story. Absolutely. And this goes to... Honestly, I think adding to the tapestry of diversity insofar as diversity of thought by changing a mindset, right? Uh, Because that story is, although poverty does exist in Haiti, there are so many things about Haiti where when I show people pictures, you know, especially um, when you come back from visiting and you show people pictures of this country that is so beautiful and always has my heart, you know, people are like, that's Haiti. And I was like, yes, that is Haiti too, right? yeah, and 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 one one other way I'll, I always I always tell uh, people I'm, just imagine if you take the the whole United States and put it in in, in terms of a, a one state, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the amount of supply, whether it's poverty, crime, I mean the list can go on, mm-hmm. and anyone from outside of the U.S. would be scared, you know, to come Absolutely. to the U.S. Absolutely, Absolutely. And this, and again, this is surprising in terms of media, media, you know, that control the narrative. They're the one who really push what they want, want, want people to see. And I don't, if you remember, I think probably a year ago, there are so many different random mur- uh, murder that was going on in the DR. Yes, yes. But guess what? I mean, for me as a, as a news person, oh yeah, okay, well, so-and-so died. Oh, well, it was, it was blamed on alcohol. Also, and so I mean, it was it was a long list of just random, you know, killing that was going on. But for me, understanding because the media, there's so much investment in the DR. Mm-hmm. Those who control the media would never really focus on those type of stories. Right. They will mention it, but no one will fully investigate and really, you know, put put out those uh, those type of images the same way that they do with hate. Absolutely, absolutely. And even going back to that pastor that was that was shown the clip in the video, I the the very fact that he mentioned, he said something that 
for the life of me, I couldn't understand how intellectual, intelligent people would, would listen to this, this person and have that person be their leader. But then Haiti signed a deal with the devil and that's how it got its freedom. Mind you, there's a whole slew of history books and, and, you know, telling you how Haitians got their freedom. We fought for the freedoms that we have. Um, even, and, you know, so when I heard that, I, I was just thinking to myself, this is a part of the problem. The discussion on Haiti is so limited because people don't know anything about Haiti and they're ascribing their own fear or ignorance to the conversation. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and this is, and this is someone with a megaphone who right. has a platform. That's a platform. That's larger than, than most pastors in this uh, country, I might add. Right. And so that, and to, to that point too, he also said something that, you know, Haitians are cursed and they are um, used to dealing with this kind of trauma, which I thought was so inhumane, insensitive. Uh-huh. And quite honestly, as, as a self-professed Christian as he is, I thought that was very unchrist-like. But, you know, I was like, okay. But what I found to be interesting in that is that, again, going back to my interpreter roots, I, and this is why one of the reasons why I love Haitian Creole, because it's such a, it's such an illustrative language. So we're going to say, you know, someone's crying. You can say, you know, but most people would say something along the lines of like water is falling from your eyes. Right. And yeah. so that's what I thought was, that's what first captured me about Creole when I learned it from a linguistic perspective was that it's so descriptive and almost like poetry, right? Yes. But, and I mean, so many times, I think just the other day, there was something I was telling my wife how, but the way that I said it, I'm like, well, because everything is a proverb. Everything, I'm like, right. well, if I tell you- <laughs> The language I'm, of I'm, Yeah, I'm like, if I said this way, I don't have to explain anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Problems, you should get all the meaning that you want to get out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I think adds to the richness of the language. And, and really, that's just a building block, right? Communication is the building block of relationships and understanding and shifting those mindsets. So that's what drew me to Creole. But specifically in the film, uh, there was a young woman who was talking about what we would label here in the States as anxiety. Right. But she mentioned it as worry. And she said, domination. And I thought it was interesting how the word domination refers to worry. Right. And then someone else was talking about resilience and and how she could become resilient. And she said, which is Mm -hmm. resistant. Right. Yes. And I just thought to myself, what interesting words that are being used? Because with regard to anxiety, with, with regard to how we're dealing with, resilience, that has led to what we've seen as the adaptation of poor mental health into Haitian society in Haiti, mm-hmm. right? Um, because we're supposed to be super strong because all of these things have happened. And that's just not true. It's not, well, because clearly, and there is another professor in, you know, in the film that talks about that, how uh, we always talk about so right, Haitians are resilient. Mm-hmm. And and now, can we effectively say that we are resilient when, hey, so, some people may be suicidal. Mm-hmm. It may affect itself in a whole different way than what we think is, uh, is resilience. Absolutely. And the manner in which it presents itself because of 
of, um, and I love that you brought up community and faith because um, Haitian people, although there are atheists that exist in Haiti and agnostics, Haitian people overall tend to subscribe to a particular faith, be that Christian to an extent, Muslim and Jewish, but predominantly Christian. And so to that extent, committing suicide or dying by suicide would be something that they would not likely do because they would worry about their relationship with God in the afterlife, yeah. right? So now this person is forced to be functional and endure through a crisis, a trauma, and that's seen by society as resilient, <laughs> when actually it's torture and suffering. Yeah, yeah. No, and and, and I think, I think that those are the kind of layers in terms of Within the film itself, since the film wasn't meant to fully dissect all those aspects, <laughs> but but those are really great conversation starter. Yeah, uh, really. In terms of how do we? I mean, and and for me, they, actually, there was one point I was like, I need to bend that word re, uh, resilience <laughs> as far as you can, right? As far as you can, because what does that really mean? What does it look like? And I think our traditional view, just like I talk about diversity and how the traditional view of diversity, meaning different faces at a table, doesn't work. It's not it's not something that's meant for today's society where we should really be leading with inclusion to create diversity. Because you can have different people at a table, but if they're not all able to participate in the discussion, you know, and get equal value from that different but equal value because we all take different things away from a conversation, then mm-hmm. what was the point of diversity? It doesn't work to just have us there, right? Yeah. And so I did so love just the, again, diverse perspectives that you were showing in this film. Now, tell me, when is the film, because I want people to see it, when will it be available for everyone to see? Currently, it's still being played in so many different film festivals. So we have uh, we have a few more festivals, you know, coming up. So the goal right now, and then I've also had a few distributors looking at it. And so I kind of wanted to give them, you know, some time, but definitely early part of 2021. Excellent. Uh, yes, the early 2021. So we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to have, you know, have it out. So then that way people are definitely waiting for it. And, you know, and part of this, what I, what I was, what I'm hoping for even if it's almost small groups, mm-hmm. watch the film, have that type of conversation. Because it is, and, and, and I also want people to understand it's not just, of course, men, mental health is not just a Haitian mm-hmm. uh, problem. This is a global issue. Absolutely. And so, and, 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 and so, so it's just coming out of the Haitian lens, but knowing that this is, the film is for everyone. Absolutely. I think this film would resonate with every audience internationally um, and here in the United States where mental health issues and discussing them has been taboo. Mm-hmm. It's a great conversation start, a great conversation starter. And Haiti, as you said, is the backdrop of this, but it affects every single person because yes. if you're not somebody that's that's living with mental illness and dealing with the challenges that those that mental illness brings you're somebody who knows someone who is or who mm-hmm. loves someone who is or who's related to someone or works with someone who is. So I think this this is just such a fantastic work. 
And I'm just honored to be able to have this conversation with you about it and hopefully uh, spread more awareness about this. No, I, I, you just don't know how happy I am you know, to be here. You know, Because when you reach out, I was like, oh, so I guess it, the film is really <laughs> taking a life of, of its own. And so I, it's such a pleasure uh, to be on your platform. Thank you. Thank you, Jean-René. And can you tell our listeners, where can they find you on social media? Where can they see Culture Clash? Because now that's my next movie that I want to see. Yes. Actually, Culture Clash is on Prime. Uh, yeah. So Culture Clash is, is on Prime. And anyone who want to get in touch, who want to follow me, uh, if they, of course, the name is kind of long, you know, with Haitian, there's always that hyphen. But if they do Jean-René Renville, they can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and you know Twitter. So I'll I'll be glad to you know to, uh, to speak to anyone. Excellent, excellent. So everybody, basically, all you need to do is type in Jean Rene Renville, and we will share that in the podcast notes, so yes. everyone will have access to that. And again, Jean Rene, it has been such an absolute pleasure to have this discussion with you. Um, talk to a fellow Haitian person. Um, who really is living locally, thinking globally, which I love about Asian people in general. (laughs) I'm wishing you so much luck with this film. And you are now a friend of the Global Fluency Podcast. So we're looking forward to having you back so we can discuss Culture Clash. (laughs) Culture Clash. No, no, absolutely. So I will send you you a link to that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And so for now, everyone listening, I have been your host, Bertine Prevacore-West, with our special guest, Jean-René Renville. And I want to thank you again for tuning in to the Global Fluency Podcast. You can find us on uh, Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast. You can also find us to um, on the stations where you listen to all your favorite podcasts, um, particularly Stitcher and Apple iTunes. You can also find us on YouTube for closed captioning so everyone can partake. And remember, this is your podcast. So let us know what you thought about today's episode, because I know you loved it, but I want to hear from you. So let us know what you thought about today's episode. Let us know what more episodes, what type of episodes you'd like for us to showcase, and we will do so. And so what we want to do is what we always ask you to do. Listen to this episode with your virtual cup of coffee in your chat groups, discuss it in your Zoom call, and let's keep the conversation going. Be on the lookout for Food Mantal Healing a Nation in 2021. You will be so glad you saw it. So once again, Joanne, thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences. Leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.